2: Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. I know we're getting all set in many cases for a holiday weekend. and, and But before you do, just know this. We have a lot to discuss today, and you could be a part of it. 1-866-408-7669. At the bottom of the hour. The disturbing news in my book, maybe not in yours, that we're just pulling out of Bagram Air Base. We built it up. We fortified it. We've been there for 20 years it was, an on, it was an eye on al-Qaeda, eye on ISIS, perfectly located between China and Russia, and we're just choosing to get out. I have no idea what our theory is on this, but, I'm, uh, but I am sadly no doubt either that the Taliban will take it over. I'll talk to Admiral Stravitas about that and China's uh, celebration of 100 years of communism. Uh, to quote Sebastian Maniscalco, they should be embarrassed. Let's get to the big three.
1: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: Prosecutors in New York City have revealed the criminal charges against the Trump organization and its chief financial officer. The indictment accuses Alan Weisselberg and the former president's company of a fraud lasting years.
2: Yeah, unbelievable. Trump organ died it along with the CFO. Seems like pure politics and flat-out targeting of a president they simply did not like or could control. We'll review the trouble the former president may be in and may not be in, as the CFO will be under pressure to flip on the Trump family. Uh, Meanwhile, on the other side, the flip side, Governor Cuomo mired in scandal, gets iced out by the media. They're just ignoring all the scandals around the governor of New York and allowing him to get poised for re-election. But the people of New York have a different idea. We'll discuss.
0: Number two. Randy Weingart the tweet where she says, So we tried to reopen schools safely since April 2020. The teachers union is trying to find new ways to close schools by saying children and all the staff have to be vaccinated by next right. year, which they know a lot of parents are not going to want to do. So they're finding new ways to close schools, but saying, No, 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 we really were, we're the ones trying right. to open
2: it. Unbelievable. Uh, scrutiny on our schools is the teachers union tries to change history. They do a rewrite. Now they are claiming they were always for opening up schools. Schools and opening up the classroom—right, an outright lie—and we can prove it. Plus, the summer pushback against critical race theory continues.
0: Number one, I would call it a gutting of the Voting Rights Act, or at least what was left of it.
4: That decision, plus these two today, cut to the heart of democracy. This is
3: precisely why we need for the People Act and the John Lewis Voter Advancement Act. What we're seeing is we're seeing a politicization of the courts. No, we're not. We're
2: seeing justice. Victory for the voters. Dems furiously pledged to pack the court as the Supreme Court rules in favor of Arizona voting regulations. Maybe, Joe, it's not Jim Crow 2.0 after all. We'll discuss the fallout and the Republican rejoicing that followed. Why? Because this is justice. This is a big upset. So what Arizona put into play and said, listen, after the last election, let's just make this clear. No more ballot harvesting. We're not in a pandemic. Ballot harvesting, essentially. I'm going to go to the nursing home, and I'm going to pick up their ballots, and I'll drop them off. No, thank you. I'll go around to my neighborhood, pick up ballots, and drop them off. No, thank you. Why? Too much of chance of corruption. Just think about that. I'm picking up your ballot and dropping it off. What could happen between there? And why are you doing that? What's the reason? There's mail-in voting. There's absentee voting. Next, they also said, when it comes to precinct voting, You should vote in the precinct you're supposed to, where you live. If you want to change it, change it. But do it where you live. And if you don't, your vote is null and void. It's not nothing against minorities. It's nothing against people who move. It's just the fact. They want to limit the chance of corruption. They want every vote to count. That, to me, is logical. But Joe Biden has interpreted the Supreme Court ruling, which was 6-3, on party lines, it seems, on the Supreme Court, Has taken that and has extrapolated it into legislators can decide who wins. So Joe Biden is told about this decision that came down yesterday while he's in Surfside in Florida at the collapse. Cut one.
5: I think that it is critical that we make a distinction between voter suppression and suspension. The ability of a state legislative body to come along and vote their legislature vote to change who is declared the winner, I find to be somewhat astounding. But the Supreme Court rule did not rule that way today, to the best of my knowledge. And uh, but I'll have much more to say about that because I plan on speaking extensively on voting rights and as well as uh, on going on the road on this issue
2: unbelievable. Uh, Number one, that is just not true. He is totally irresponsible. Look what he did in Georgia supporting Major League Baseball and sporting and athletes uh, standing up against speaking out of Georgia law that he totally mischaracterized, that even Stacey Abrams had to walk back. Major League Baseball picks up and moves. The Arizona rule comes into play. Texas comes into play. He says some extraordinarily irresponsible things about it. The Supreme Court rules. He says what he just said. Legislators can't change the outcome of an election. You just saw Arizona you saw, uh, you saw Georgia stand up to the president. They're not looking to change the outcome of the election. It was Fox the one that called Arizona before Arizona called Arizona. So they've already proven that politics doesn't enter into the fray. I thought they've been battle tested. So here's the attorney general who's going to run for center, I think, against Mark Kelly, Mark Brenovich. He was on with Sean last night. Cut three.
6: It's quite frankly as simple as this, is that the Democratic National Committee and other left-wing groups have systematically tried to file lawsuits in states, and sometimes very shortly before elections, to sow chaos so they can use their organizations to uh, manipulate the vote. So they challenged Arizona's limitations on out-of-precinct voting and uh, limitations on ballot harvesting, and they essentially said that they were racist, unconstitutional, violated the Voting Voting Rights Act. We had a 10-day trial. We defended those statutes. We won. And then the Ninth, Circus, Ninth Circuit Ninth Circuit, uh, overturned that.
2: And then the Supreme Court looked at it and said, this is worthy because it's voting. I should do it. So here's what, uh, here's what Supreme Court Justice Alito said. And I think it makes sense. Uh, the court's opinion, uh, according, written by Samuel Alito, here it is, quote, having to identify one's own polling place and then traveling there to vote does not exceed the usual burdens of voting. On the contrary, these tasks are quintessential examples of the usual burdens of voting. I mean, what do you want us to do? Come to your house and make you vote? What does that have to do with minorities? They're suddenly minorities can't get around? I mean, isn't that an insult to minorities? They have no money. They can't get around. They're being suppressed and uh, manipulated by horrible rich people who mostly give to Democrats. And lastly, on this California law, now try to follow this. I'll I'll read it as it's written, and then I'll, then I'll try to uh, make it simpler. They challenged this California law uh, that said, if you're going to give major money, you should disclose who you are. Really? Because then they get targeted and doxed, and people say, oh, I'm not just going to give. I'm not going to be part of the process. So the California law was challenged, and Arizona won it. Uh, they said the law that required that nonprofits to disclose their largest donors— for the state government, for law enforcement purposes, the court upheld Arizona's laws, which liberals saw as voting rights restriction and conservatives saw as an election security measure and struck down the California law on the grounds that it chilled free speech. Because if you come out and you donate to a nonprofit and they don't like the nonprofit or what it stands for, pro-life, uh, pro-choice, whatever, then you get doxxed, and people get harassed if they're in human resources at a company that you don't like their charter or their mantra. You understand what's going on? Just a little bit more about the outrage. They're using this as an excuse to say we have to pack the court. Remember, Joe Biden said for 90 days, we're going to study the court system and see if we can make it better. Think about the arrogance. One branch of government studying another to change it. What if Congress wanted to study and see how the executive branch could do things better? You think any president would stand for that? No. You think Congress would stand for that? I don't know why the justices. Are standing for that, so they're going to examine whether the nine-person Supreme Court justice actually is effective. Now, the only way they could implement any of this stuff is if they get rid of the filibuster, and it's getting very close to another election. And I don't think Joe uh, Joe Manchin is going to budge on this, and Kirsten Sinema either. But they're trying to say this is our democracy is at stake. Cut to.
0: I would call it a gutting of the Voting Rights Act, or at least what was left of it. That decision plus these two today cut
3: to the heart of democracy. This is precisely why we need For the People Act and the John Lewis Voter Advancement Act. What we're seeing is we're seeing a politicization of the courts.
2: Okay. one i am going to get some calls next, but I, I do uh, want to talk about what happened with the, the Trump team yesterday. So this decision— uh, this indictment is handed down. The CFO is accused of uh, having a Mercedes Benz from a, used as a company car and having a place to stay at Trump Tower. I think it's a nice room and not paying rent for it. And there are other things that went out and, and, and nice things that happen when you work for a rich organization that you get that adds up to, I think, $1.7 million. That's why you haul the seven CFO in of a multi-billion dollar family corporation. That's your focus. As you watch a city burn, as you watch women being tackled in the street, as you watch Marines being shot in the back that just are getting out of the subway, I think there's been 12 people shoved on the tracks over the last three months as cops are um, are totally defamed and uh, and defunded. Now you said if we could just get that Trump organization to come clean on how many cars their CFO had. This is a study of three and a half years while impaneling a grand jury. Three and a half years. This is what you got. To me, this is totally political targeting. It is an embarrassment to the country. And uh, this is the what Andy McCarthy. Andy McCarthy was telling us this uh, yesterday, even when this indictment came down after reading it. Here's what he said. Cut 14.
7: It's no wonder, Brian, that the federal prosecutors didn't seem Interested in this case? When I was in the Southern District of New York, the federal uh, prosecutor's office in Manhattan, um, we would never have sat by and uh, and done nothing while the Manhattan DA's office uh, went after a big fish case that involved supposed you know federal felonies like bank fraud and tax fraud and the like. Um, It's no wonder they weren't particularly interested in this case.
2: No kidding. It's a 15-count indictment on tax fraud and other charges filed in New York on Thursday. That against the Trump Organization and CFO Alan Weisselberg, who has already uh, 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 stimulated as much hand-wringing on satisfaction of those who hate the Trump team and hate Donald Trump. But Trump is not indicted. They looked at a school in in uptown New York, uh, Upper East Side— it costs, I think, over the course of seven years, $340,000. And it was paid for by the Trump team. And Donald Trump signed the check. Aha! Imagine if we could finally get the Trump team to come clean on the private school of their CFO's kid. Grandkid, by the way. This is what they're doing with our money and our time. This is what Cyrus Vance is doing as Manhattan District Attorney. What an embarrassment. This is unbelievable and they got to just try to pressure him to flip to get some type of tax loophole and attack on the president and his family. Here's Alan Dershowitz last night cut 13.
5: They would never have gone after this guy criminally if he didn't work for Trump and if Trump weren't possibly running for uh, president, and and the reason they're going after him, obviously, is to get to Trump. It's the domino theory. Mm-hmm. It, it was originated in large part by Rudy Giuliani, Alan, his own lawyer. When he was the U.S. I'm, attorney, you would I'm always of have the dominoes, and they would try to get him.
2: And, of course, uh, that was on uh, Laura last night. They were just going to break when Alan Dershowitz was cut off, but it really did do that. You pressure one to get to the other. That's how he broke the mob. 1-866-408-7669. Donald Trump is not the mob. He buys and sells buildings and golf courses, all right? I don't, you don't. He also gets hotels and rebuilds rinks. Uh, he was begged by Mike Bloomberg to revitalize a Bronx golf course. Now they're trying to take it away from him. He took over a uh, the only ice rink in Central Park, and now they're trying to take it away from him because you don't like his politics. It is, I'm telling you, I would be behind this microphone, standing up for Bill Clinton, as well as Barack Obama and Jimmy Carter or George Bush. Because if you do something before you're in office and you leave office and you're targeted by the opposite party because you were the leader of that party, that's called Brazil. That is called uh, uh, Pakistan. That's not America. Take your calls in a second. Got a lot to discuss. I got a lot more to discuss. you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show
1: politics current events and news that affects you brian's got a lot more to say stay with brian kilmeade Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: They asked us for language and we gave them language when they asked us for it. But if you look at the public record, I was saying these things publicly, these kinds of things. So there's nothing nefarious about doing these kind, this kind of work. And frankly, you know, we have said to the CDC, everyone should have, parents should be, um, they should be, communicating with parents. They should be communicating with educators. They have to communicate with those who actually are impacted by their policies.
2: So that is Randy Weingarten, and she is talking about the communication with the CDC that was found out by the New York Post in their FOIA request, Freedom of Information request. It turns out The teachers union president was telling the CDC what to put in their missives when it came to recommending that kids stay out of school. And then we find out it was taken verbatim in the ultimate uh, statements from the CDC on how whether or not kids would go back to school or not. And almost every single time. Uh, Too soon or six feet distance or you got to wear masks. So Randy Weingarten has been the worst offenders. I think it's the second biggest teachers union in the country. Well, now yesterday she's saying that I've been pushing to get these kids back in school since Florida. Weingarten faced uh, stiff criticism in almost every single state. In places like Florida, they just flat out ignored them. They said, you're going back to school. She said, um, she came out and said this. Uh, The AFT has tried to reopen schools starting in April 2020. That is so not true. You are a liar. That is a flat-out lie. Uh, In fact, everybody knows it, too. Rob Astorino wants to be the next Republican governor. He said this. "No uh, No one did more to ensure schools remain closed for over a year than you. That is why parents need some more control and choice. We know that. They're forcing more and more to go elsewhere. Harmi Dill, an outstanding uh, legal attorney, civil rights attorney, says, speaking as attorney who went to federal court to open up California school last summer, you, Randy Garden, were the single biggest obstacle to educate America's children in school. Not Gavin Newsom, not Fauci, not even COVID. And our own Carol Markowitz, a mom and a great columnist with The New York Post, said, uh, Randy Weingarten, and this is a total rewrite of what actually happened. School districts under Randy's thumb stayed closed. School districts not under Randy's influence opened. That is not a coincidence. The reason I'm so exercised about this, I've seen it. Kids are suffering. Kids didn't learn a thing at home through Zoom. When they did go to school, they couldn't interact. Fourth graders with masks. They are still debating on whether kids should be wearing masks or not. Still debating this. This should be absolutely no debate
7: his name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
2: And to get it. The teachers are not going to get it because they've been vaccinated or they chose not to. Next, critical race theory. I'm watching anchors and other channels say... There's no critical race theory being taught in classrooms. It's in colleges. Back off. Kids should be able to handle it. No, it's called brainwashing indoctrination. I wasn't convinced of it at first, but the more I read about it, I knew it. And guess what? Here's a North Carolina third grade teacher. She was on Fox News with Shannon last night, and she's talking about the training she has to
8: undergo, and this has got to stop. Cut 10. We've been compelled to take four trainings this year on... um... Pretty much that, where we had to admit our white privilege, we had to confess that we were oppressed. Um, we part of it was a, a matrix of oppression, is what they called it, and um, that we had to yield our power to marginalized people. You believe this, and that's
2: why we have Don Lemon and others say they're not teaching critical race theory in schools. That is it. That's not learning about history. That is uh, that is being racially uh, unconscionable, and that's not reliable or responsible.
9: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: From his mouth to to your your ears, ears. it's Brian Kilmeade.
10: Bagram Air Base, so our audience understands, is a real crown jewel of a military presence in South Asia. I mean, this is why the Russians, the Chinese, and the Iranians are rejoicing and completely thrilled over our departure. Because our strategic presence from that airfield is significant, gives us huge operational reach, and it certainly that military presence enhances our diplomats in the region. Who United States is what we want in that region is is stability and security. So we're we're going to pull out, and certainly the vacuum will be filled by uh, by those o- other countries for sure.
2: Uh, General Keen just uh, very upset, as most people are, because they know the ramifications of our. Irresponsible pullout of Afghanistan. Uh, It's done haphazardly. I guess NATO's virtually out and we gave up Bagram Air Base. Are you going to be comfortable with the Taliban owning it as a major victory uh, and stomping on everything and taking advantage of everything that we built up over the last 20 years? A man who knows it well. Uh, he was there leading the insurgency under the Obama administration. Admiral James Javidis, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, author of the best selling book, 2034, a novel of the next world war. Admiral, welcome back. Your thoughts on Bargram's evacuation. It
11: makes my heart hurt to watch it. And I've flown in and out of that airport, as have most of us who are veterans of these forever wars. Too many times to count as a supreme Allied commander in NATO, and it. Jack has it exactly right. It's it's a crown jewel. You know, if it didn't exist, would have to invent it, and I don't know how we can reinvent it because if you look at geography, uh, the Pakistanis, the Iranians, the stands to the north, there there just are no options other than. Flying long haul from carriers in the Indian Ocean uh, and the Arabian Gulf, or our allies in the uh, in the Arabian Peninsula. That's a long haul. It's a strategic hotspot, and there's just no way to recreate that capability, Brian. So I'm, I'll finish on this. There is another airport. Uh, Kabul International. And boy, we better hang on to that one. Um, We've got U.S. troops that are going to be part of that. And I think the Turks under the NATO hat are going to be part of defending that as well. But if we can't hold on to Kabul, it's game over. We're going to have to close the
2: We lost 50 Afghanistan district to the Taliban. There are 400 (laughs) overall. Uh, Here's what the, the general said he's worried about and who's happy about our leaving today. Cut 29.
10: What's happening operationally with the Taliban, they're waiting for us to leave. They've taken over some rural districts that are not military consequential, to be sure, very consequential to the livelihood and welfare of the people that are now under their rule. And they're they're holding back for the United States to depart, and then they'll start to mass on the provincial capitals, major cities to begin to roll those up. When they do that, they're no longer an insurgency. They're actually an army, kind of like when we saw ISIS invade Iraq back in 2014.
2: Which, of course, we went back in to save Baghdad. Are we going to go back in to save Kabul?
11: I don't think so. I think the uh, the correct analogy here, uh, and I would say this if General Jack and I were talking about it, is uh, Vietnam, 1975, when the Viet Cong uh, were replaced by an army, the Army of North Vietnam, and they did exactly what Jack Keen is talking about. They effectively started to choke off Saigon, and the final act was that whole series of terrible uh, videos that we've seen again and again of helicopters lifting off the roofs of the American Embassy, and I fear we are headed back that way. So uh, to put some granularity on this, The cities are up in the north, mazar sharif Kanduz, in the west, Herat, and in the south, Kandahar. Watch those. If those fall to the Taliban, it's effectively game over.
2: What do you say to the Afghanistan veterans or families of those who lost their lives there or catastrophically wounded uh, there and fought there? What do you say to them?
11: I would say this, Brian, that they accomplished the mission in the following way. We went there to choke off al-Qaeda to find the perpetrators of 9-11. It took us 20 years. We, we killed Osama bin Laden. That raid came from both the sea and from Afghanistan. We also uh, prevented an attack on the homeland for 20 years. They can hold their head up high. What they ought to be saying is, hey, I did my job for 20 years How are we going to prevent this from simply repeating itself? And I think that's the key question in front of the Biden administration. Show me the plan. Show me the realistic plan for coming back in there if we have to, if the Taliban take over and welcome al-Qaeda and welcome the Islamic State. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty ahead and a lot of danger.
2: Yeah, it seems like the uh, Secretary of State was already looking for that eventuality, saying the Taliban don't want to be isolated again. I go, really? They've taken the country? You've already, in your head, given it back to the country? That means Mm -hmm. we're not going to keep an embassy when the Taliban the, uh, Taliban runs that country? so we'll lose all influence in the area. I just hope the American people are prepared for that because they're not saying a word. I'm listening. I'm reading. No one's seeing this as a problem. But when it falls, everyone's going to have a problem with it. Um, Meanwhile, I want to take to another challenge. What is your thoughts about China celebrating 100 years of communist oppression?
11: Uh, It is a a shameful chapter in the history of a, a great civilization. And let's face the facts here. We've got to... Uh, continue to face China and confront them on human rights violations, on their ownership of the South China Sea, on the pressures they put on neighbors throughout the region. Um, we have to avoid stumbling into a war with them. We've got to bend the relationship without breaking it. That's why I wrote 2034, a novel in the next world war, which sort of demonstrates uh, how easy it would be to stumble into a war with uh, China as currently constituted under the Uh, Chinese Communist Party and President Xi. You probably also saw the uh, quote, Brian, where uh, the the Communist Party has said that uh, any who confront China uh, will have their heads bloodied and bashed against a wall. Um, There's an increasingly militant tone coming out of Beijing. We ought to pay attention. We're going to have to confront them at some point. And
2: it's going to be over Taiwan, don't you think?
11: I think that's probably the next chapter in this, and here you see bipartisan support for drawing closer to, to Taiwan, and I think it makes sense to do so. We, we have always taken the position that, uh, that this is a decision for the people of Taiwan, and that military force imposing uh, communist rule on that island is, uh, is in, in, against U.S. interest.
2: Uh, There's 145 new missile silos across the country. Uh, We assume those are nuclear missile for nuclear missiles. Do you assume the same thing?
11: Of course. And China is stepping up its strategic nuclear capability. That's those in-ground missiles. They're increasing their numbers of ships to include ballistic missile submarines, and they're uh, moving toward creating a new generation long-range uh, bomber, strategic bomber, similar to our uh, B-2 fleet, our B-1s, even our B-52s. By the way, Brian, I don't know if you saw this, but b fifty two strategic long-range bombers, are now 75 years old. And we're putting new engines on them. They'll probably be flying uh, a total of over a hundred years. China's just beginning that part of the strategic triad, but watch for it to increase.
2: Wow, that's great! Uh, uh, unbelievable uh, that it still a, would still be used. Uh, yeah. Japan is warning us of a U.S. Uh, warning the U.S. a potential surprise attack on Hawaii. They say Russia and China are coordinating military military exercise to threaten not only Taiwan but also Hawaii. And it'll be quick, and there will be very little notice. How real is this?
11: Well, ironic that it's coming from our friends in Japan, who, of course, conducted exactly that type of attack in 1941. Um, What's realistic here is China and Russia drawing closer and closer together. And if you recall during the Cold War, U.S.-Soviet Union, you didn't see China— partnered up with the Soviet Union. Today, that's different. President Xi and President Putin are, in fact, uh, closely coordinating policies to include refinancing and financing uh, iran's uh, efforts to economically come out of the, the the destruction to their economy that's been conducted correctly in my view under these uh, sanctions that were imposed, and secondly uh, they're both working with North Korea, so you potentially have a very negative quad of, of China, Russia, and then two junior partners in the mix, uh, North Korea and uh, Iran. Very dangerous for the United States. I'm Mm. glad Japan is with us. And by the way, Brian, as you know, there's another quad, and that's U.S., Japan, Australia, and India. I think we're going to need that kind of balance, allies, partners, and friends, both NATO and non-NATO partners, uh, if we're going to face China.
2: Where are they vulnerable? Where's China vulnerable? I noticed (coughs) that the innovation part of their country More and more, you see Jack Ma and the Alibabas of the world. When they get too big, in comes the government, and they get suppressed. Jack Ma thought he was bigger than China a couple of years ago. He disappeared. We haven't saw much of him since, the Jeff Bezos of uh, China. They are stifling any type of free market mentality, aren't they?
11: There are three big vulnerabilities China faces. One is demographics. Their population is aging rapidly. They have a misbalance. Way too many men, not enough women. So they have demographic challenges. Number two, your point, um, at some stage of this, if you really don't let capitalism run free— and you start to stifle it, you can't have it both ways. You can't centrally plan it. So over time, I think the the wheels of capitalism will start to grind more and more and that'll be more difficult. Third and finally, it's the environment. They have um, major, major environmental challenges. They make other nations of that size um, look like uh, a paradise compared to go to Beijing, look at the smog, all coal-based, many, many environmental challenges that are going to have to be remediated. Those are overhangs on China. And then lastly, um, they, their geography does not favor them particularly. They're kind of tucked in a corner of Asia. Uh, that's why Russia is such a good partner for them. and expands the geography significantly. Right.
2: They've had uh, suddenly they put their problems aside. I think Vladimir Putin and President Xi seem to get along, uh, which is oh, an indictment on both of them. Uh, Said so This week we also saw a, a missile strike inside Iraq against uh, Iranian-affiliated militias and then a return yeah. strike. Where's this heading? What what initiated it? Are you in support of that strike?
11: I am in support of the strike. Um, it, it was conducted against, as you say, Iranian-backed militias in Iraq, Iranian-backed militias in Iraq. And the reason is because those militias were attacking our US troops who are still in Iraq. We still have somewhere between 2,500 and 4,000 fighting the remnants of the Islamic State. So I applaud the Biden administration strikes, very similar to those that were conducted by the Trump administration. Where it's going is a new hardline government has been elected in Tehran, a man named Ibrahim Raisi is the new president. He'll be installed in August. Uh, He does not have much in the way of accommodation uh, written in his eyes. He's a a butcher who murdered thousands of his countrymen during uh, suppression of revolutions. So look for increasing tension toward the end of the year, and uh, I don't see any quick solutions here.
2: All right. uh, Admiral Stavridis, go pick up his book, 2034, A Novel of the Next World War. What are you going to be thinking about July 4th?
11: I'm going to be thinking about all my shipmates who have passed in these wars um, and thanking them for the freedoms that we enjoy as we celebrate the birth of our republic.
2: Also, uh, I I would be remiss if I didn't bring up your thoughts on the two-time Secretary of Defense, uh, Donald Rumsfeld, who passed Uh. away at the age of 88.
11: Yeah, I I worked directly for him as his uh, senior military assistant when I was a three-star admiral. I never met a more energetic patriot in my life. Uh, Like all of us, he made some good decisions and some that he would probably do over again. But uh, I can't think of another figure other than our presidents who have influenced American foreign policy and security policy over the last 50 years. He was an extraordinary person, and I was proud to work for him.
2: And from what I saw, I back you up 100 percent. He definitely uh, lived and breathed leadership. You might not have liked his decisions, but he was willing to stand behind them. Uh, and we can go back over Iraq and everything, but you lived it every day. Did you learn from leadership? Did. What did you learn from him? Because you wrote leadership books yourself, and you, and you study that for a living. You have a passion for that.
11: I do uh read Rumsfeld's Rules which is sort of his book on leadership very short book and very readable the the thing about Don Rumsfeld was um you better know what you're talking about when you go in the door to be around him what I learned from him was how important the details are and how you have to challenge your subordinates every day to get the details right he was he he had an eye for a flaw as he liked to say But what he really had was mastery of details.
2: Admiral Stavridis, thanks so much. Appreciate it.
11: My pleasure, Brian. Talk soon. Happy 4th.
2: Back at you. Uh, Back with all of you. 1-866-408-7669.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade
12: Alan Weisselberg wasn't the person that they wanted. They wanted Donald Trump, and guess what? After five mm. years, they weren't able to get anything on him. Mueller wasn't able to get anything on him, and so guess what? You know they don't care if you know a nice, great human being uh, gets caught in the crossfires. They, they don't. Mm. They don't care. That That's what they want to do. They they they, they, they want to go after Trump and everybody's around him for their own political purposes, and it's horrible. And you see it in that video. I mean. If there's one thing, they're very transparent about their M.O., Raymond. I mean, they're very, very transparent about their motives.
2: They are. And the Trump family's worried. I mean, you have three and a half years looking at a multi-billion-dollar international organization. Uh, even though it's family-run, you don't know if the every T is crossed and I is dotted. But you know you're not up to no good. But it's nothing wrong with going out of your way not to pay maximum taxes, ever. You pay what you should pay. But the, the other things you can do that's built into the system as a write-off, you do it. And let's see if the CFO, they're going to look to try to get him in 20 years. I think he's 75 years old, more like two or three will end up getting. If, it's, if they're going to prosecute him on tax charges, you got to be kidding. I mean, uh, as Andy McCarthy said, if this is all they got, uh, it's pretty much a waste of time. And how is this going to go over knowing that your city is overrun with crime? whether it's Chicago, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Austin, Texas, your city is overrun with crime, and you're focusing on an ex-president's taxes, which you still can't get much on? Too many perks. Let's shut off the perks with billionaires, then everything's going to be okay. Deanna Paul, who's on another network, staff writer for The Wall Street Journal, cut 20.
0: So yesterday we saw an indictment of 15 charges against Alan Weisselberg, who's the chief financial officer of the Trump Organization, and 10 charges against the Trump Organization. Prosecutors brought a case that what they called was an audacious and sweeping tax fraud case that spanned 15 years.
2: Yeah, 15 years. Good luck with that. Cut 21.
0: At the end of the day, it was a very detailed indictment. And I think what you need to keep in mind is when you're talking about these fringe benefits, you had Trump Organization lawyers and Mr. Weisselberg's lawyers have you know, said that this was an incidental ta- fringe benefit. But when you look at the indictment, it we're not talking about a one-off school tuition payment. We're talking about 15 years of $1.7 million for Mr. Weisselberg.
2: Yeah, okay, $1.7 million tuition payments. I don't know if it works out the compensation. Uh, the guy's is a, a financier by trade. Uh, let's see what he has to say about it, and let's see how you're going to fight it. And let's just add some, As most people will tell you, this is stuff that's negotiated. You pay, you don't pay, you explain, you don't explain— You don't march in with national cameras with a 75-year-old with handcuffs on. What is the point of that? That's not justice. That's showboating. Look what I did. Big tough guys. Why I'm still in the city, I don't know. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York City and heard around the world. BrianKilmeade.com. Order any of my books of What Makes America Great on Fox Nation.
9: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
1: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, privileged uh, that you have chosen to listen to us again as we get set for the fourth of the holiday weekend where the whole country can celebrate one thing. Glad we're here. Glad they, the our founding fathers put it all together, fought for it, won for it, and uh, we love our rich past. And we'll talk about that with John Cribb, author of Old Abe, a novel that many people are saying is the best Abraham Lincoln book out there today. He's going to be with us to put this birthday in perspective because so many people are Downgrading the country we're in and the state we're in. Meanwhile, Mark Bronovich will be with us. You know him as the Arizona Attorney General who won a major court case, uh, 6-3 in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, his uh, decision, the decision to go in Arizona's direction when it came to these election regulations have gotten the Democrats just beside themselves, uh, which leads me to the Big Three.
1: Now with the stories you need to, to know, know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. Prosecutors in New York City have revealed the criminal charges against the Trump Organization and its chief financial officer. The indictment accuses Alan Weisselberg and the former president's company of a fraud lasting years.
2: The Trump Organization indicted along with their CFO seems like pure politics, a flat-out targeting of a president that they didn't like and they could not control. You've been looking at this three and a half years and you get a 75-year-old CFO The goal? To get him to flip on the Trump family? I don't see it likely. Compare that to Governor Cuomo. This guy is mired in scandal, but the media has just ignored it. They let him do his own thing as he gets set for re-election despite 11 sexual harassment accusers, ethics violations with his book, and with favoritism when it comes to tests, and everyone saying no problem. But a new poll has to be concerning to the Cuomo camp.
4: Number
0: two. Randy Weingart put the tweet where she says, "So we tried to reopen schools safely since April 2020. The teachers' union is trying to find new ways to close schools by saying children and all the staff have to be vaccinated by next right. year, which they know a lot of parents are not going to want to do. So they're finding new ways to close schools, but saying, no, 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 we really were, we're the ones trying right. to open it.
2: Yeah, scrutiny on our schools as the teachers' union tries a history rewrite, now claiming they were always for the opening of the classrooms. We know that's not true, an outright lie, and we can prove it. Plus... THE SUMMER PUSHBACK AGAINST CRITICAL RACE THEORY CONTINUES.
0: NUMBER ONE. I WOULD CALL IT A GUTTING OF THE VOTING RIGHTS ACT OR AT LEAST WHAT WAS LEFT OF IT. THAT DECISION PLUS THESE TWO TODAY CUT TO THE HEART OF DEMOCRACY. THIS IS PRECISELY
3: WHY WE NEED FOR THE PEOPLE ACT AND THE JOHN LEWIS VOTER ADVANCEMENT ACT. WHAT WE'RE SEEING IS WE'RE SEEING a POLITICIZATION OF THE COURTS.
2: Really? Victory for the voters. Dems furiously pledged to back the court as the Supremes rule in favor of the Arizona voting regulations. Maybe, Joe, it's not Jim Crow 2.0. We'll discuss the fallout and the Republican rejoicing. So what exactly happened? I'm not going to get into too much detail because the attorney general uh, will be with us shortly in about 12 minutes. But I'll just give you an overview of why Republicans are so happy because they were mischaracterized. The pandemic loosened up everything. No excuse, absentee balloting, early voting, all types of hours, uh, counting of ballots, not enough, uh, not al- enough observers, not enough, uh, uh, not enough precincts. We saw a loosening of this. They thought it was necessary because of the pandemic. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But now that the pandemic's over, in 2022, we'll have a normal election. Arizona said, yeah, when it comes to ballot harvesting, the answer is no. When it comes to voting out of precinct, the answer is no. And when it comes to this California law that required nonprofits to disclose their largest donors to the state government for law enforcement purposes, the answer is no. Why? Because people were donating to nonprofits that maybe are pro-life, pro-choice, whatever it is, anything controversial that you might think of. Then they were getting doxed personally, their their uh, the company being boycotted. So Arizona said, to hell with that. If you want to give money to a nonprofit, you do not have to disclose it. So that was part of what the conservatives felt as though they won. And because they felt as though they won, now all of a sudden Joe Biden had to weigh in and essentially say, accuse it again of going back in time and stopping minorities from voting, which has nothing to do with that. And I'll talk to the attorney general about it. Governor Doug Ducey was pretty happy, cut six. In Arizona, we want to make it easy to vote. But hard to cheat. I think if President Biden wants to focus on election integrity, maybe he should begin in New York City, where they're having all kinds of problems. Absolutely, go in New York City. Do you know the mayoral primary? They still have not counted all the votes, and it turns out last week they counted 134,000 votes. There were test votes. In other words, they were running tests on the machines. And they started with 134,000 extra votes. Can you imagine this? And one of the candidates who brought it forward, were, he was the leader, Eric Adams. And they said, well, you're just worried because your lead is narrowing. He said, no. There's supposed to be 800,000 votes. There's 934,000 votes. He was 100% right. 100% right. I don't know if you saw what happened yesterday afternoon. But CNN finally had something to report because they can't report on the border. They don't want to report on inflation. They don't want to talk about gas prices. They don't want to talk about the pull out of Afghanistan all bad moves and bad stories for Biden, but they do uh, they do want to talk about the organization the Trump organization getting indicted along with their cFO and it 's really a shame because it 's pure politics, no question about it. If you see what they got one point seven million over a few years of a kid going to private school or a grandchild going to private school or mercedes or or a house that they was given to him by the company that that house uh, you not didn 't pay taxes on. This to me is a scandal that has to be addressed by the Trump organization in a time in which I'm watching video yesterday afternoon of an assailant in broad daylight right by a a city bike rack, tackle a woman from behind and assault them in broad daylight. Three people being thrown on the tracks, not prosecuting the looters from last summer as they disparaged and blew up cop cars and destroyed whole city blocks. That was just New York. But Trump is fo- targeted by the Manhattan DA, at which time they, they filed with the organization and the CFO a 15-count indictment on tax fraud and charges filed in New York against the Trump organization. And their longtime CEO, who worked in the same office as Donald Trump, had already st- uh, stimulated as much hand-wringing and satisfaction from those who call for accountability for Donald Trump. Really? That's your accountability? You get any businessman or woman. At this high level, especially an organization they run, there's always going to be some type of tax issue you can get somebody on. But if you look around and see what people are saying – You know this could have been, and many thought it would be, and they promised it would be much more serious. Here's attorney David Schoen, who represented Trump on his second impeachment. He said anyone with any measurable experience in this area of the law would accurately tell you that it's extraordinarily rare to bring criminal charges solely related to fringe benefits, and doing so here speaks very poorly of the DA's office. No kidding. Harmeet Dillon, a civil rights attorney, it's virtually unheard of that state prosecutors to charge a company over taxation of fringe benefits. Harmeet Dillon, no kidding. And if you're Donald Trump, you're getting it everywhere. You're getting sued by, uh, by Georgia because you put too much pressure on the Secretary of State. They're saying that he, he was pressured to change uh, votes. And then you're getting sued. But January 6th, you might even get subpoenaed for your role in giving that speech that day. And then you find out your organization's being targeted. You say to yourself, life was so good when I was hosting The Apprentice. Hollywood loved me. The country loved me. What happened? Well, you went out there, put your views forward, and already you lose 44% of the country. But in terms of the seriousness of the charges, not many people think it is that serious. Here is Clay, uh, David Clay Johnston, an investigative attorney. Uh, He talked about this yesterday, Cut 22.
10: The assertion is that cases like this are never brought. We don't bring nearly enough tax fraud cases in this country at the federal or state level, but we bring cases like this all the time. And this is garden variety tax fraud, a very calculated tax fraud, Poppy, including keeping two sets of books. So Trump is essentially just lying that nobody would ever bring a case like this. That's absurd. He's also, by the way, saying he's special. You know, people like him shouldn't have to face penalties for stealing from the rest of us Mm -hmm. through tax fraud.
2: Right. Good luck with that. By the way, these uh, Republicans got to stand up and stop this infrastructure bill when it comes to investigating, militarizing the IRS, giving them billions of dollars to investigate everybody. You really want to have every successful person having four IRS agents pouring over their tax returns? Is that going to be good for the country? No, this is a joke. Uh, This is this is garden variety, international businessman stuff. Cut 17, Eric Trump. They've
12: been trying to get my father since the second he came down the escalator. You know this better than anybody, and they've been going after him for the last five years. The district attorney has subpoenaed three and a half million documents. Three and a half million documents, and they don't Mm -hmm. care about Alan Weisberg. They care about one person that's taking down my father. They subpoenaed three and a half million documents. They've gone through every single tax record that my father has had since two thousand five, and this is what they have. They have a they have a company car. They have uh, employment perks. Give me a break. They have been on a witch hunt. The New York Attorney General, Letitia James, she has been going after my father. She she swore to get him. She swore to try and take him down. And it's disgusting.
2: No, no question. When we come back, we'll talk about something else the, president's, the former president's passionate about, and that's voting in Arizona. Uh, the Attorney General, Mark Bronovich will be with us and talk about the Supreme Court decision last week and what the ramification means for other uh, lawsuits like the one in Georgia put out by Attorney, General, uh, by Attorney General Merrick Garland. lot to discuss. I'm so glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer
9: Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one on one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're waiting on the attorney general from uh, Arizona. Meanwhile, I'm getting a lot of your responses on BrianKillMe.com. A lot of your emails are coming over about stuff that we uh, are talking about now and talked about, talk about on television. Uh, a couple of things that are happening. Number one, with these voting rules, please do, do, do yourself a favor, especially your left-wing friends. If you're going to see them this weekend through the Fourth of July, when they start saying that Republicans going out of the way to suppress the vote, just make them, ask them two things. SM number one, how in which you think they're doing that, number one. Number two is uh, 70% of the country want voter ID. So, what, what the Georgians did in particular is say, we're not going to do signature match anymore. It's too controversial. I have people there staring at signatures. It's not the same. It is the same. Let's take human error out of it. Let's just focus on ID. And for those who say minorities don't have ID, by the way, it wouldn't insult to minorities. How do you get a vaccine? How do you get anything? How do you get health care? How do you get your unemployment check? How do you get your food stamps? How do you get on a plane? How do you buy a car? How do you get an Uber? Come on. There's no way you don't have an ID. Okay, 70 percent want voter ID. And it makes sense because you want your vote to count. You don't care about my vote or your neighbor's vote. You want your vote to count. And it gets canceled out by some knucklehead who wants to cheat the system. In terms of, with the attorney general and over in Arizona, they said, listen, we just can't have you. The voter roll's got to be pure in Georgia, and people had a problem with that. If you have not responded when asked if you still live in an address, they'll assume you moved Number two is they don't want to be flooding the zone with a million ballots to people. They fill out the ballots and they go and vote in person. And the computer maybe not be set up to stop all three of those votes from happening. So that's one way in which voters are being overvoting, and the undervoting not counting. With Arizona now, they say if you vote in the right, if you vote in the wrong precinct, it will not count. So here's what Mark Brenovich said about this. Cut four.
6: And so the reality is, is that. We took it up the Supreme Court. I actually personally argued the case, and we won. It's actually named Brnovich v. DNC because I intervened to defend those laws when other people wouldn't. And I thought it was important because, you know, the Constitution, federalism, election integrity have to mean something. And the U.S. Supreme Court held that states can enact common-sense election
2: integrity measures to protect the ballot and protect the process. So that's what they were doing. And there was huge backlash. Now, I don't know what they're doing in this recount. It's still going on. It's supposed to be done in May. Beats me what's happening there. So I have nothing to do with that. I actually don't think it's really too good for the country that they're recounting all these ballots again because we don't even know how they're doing. If they come out and say Donald Trump won Arizona, that's going to make everyone say, "Okay, how did that happen? Because you haven't been transparent about the process, So there's a lot, of, a lot of things out there to divide the country, but I think we should go out of our way this weekend, especially to now point out those things. But if you're going to get into an argument, uh, you should actually know the case. And the guy that argued the case is with us now, the Attorney General of uh, Arizona, Mark Branovich. Um, Mr. Attorney General, congratulations on the victory. What do you say to people who think this is a way to suppress the vote? Arizona won a way to suppress the vote.
13: Brian, thank you very much for having me on. And I tell my kids, everyone's entitled to their own opinions, but not their own facts. And, you know, the facts were clear in this case. We literally had a 10-day trial in front of a federal district judge who heard all the evidence. He actually heard testimony from leaders in our African-American community who said they supported these laws. Uh, As recently as 2015 in the city of Phoenix, there was people going around saying they were government officials trying to harvest... Uh, ballots in uh, certain low-income communities, and, uh, you know, people assumed it was Republicans, so of course they gave a warning. Um, and, you know, it just shows you that the that today there's this disturbing trend when anytime you disagree with someone, especially on a big policy issue, that you accuse them of being a racist. And, you know, I tell our folks, even in our office, even before I argued the case, I said, that argument may work on the evening news or in the mainstream media, but it's not going to work at the Supreme Court. We're going to win this case because we're right on the law and we're right on the facts.
2: Well, you are. And what changes now? What's going to happen in 2022 because of this law?
13: Well, the important thing is, is it creates certainty and consistency when it comes to not only Arizona, but other states when they want to enact common sense election integrity measures. You know, and I know you've talked about this, that I mean, there's lawsuits right now in places like Georgia, where the federal government, the Department of Justice is trying to come in and micromanage elections and basically try to tell a state, what they can and can't do, and the left—and this is why we need to push back so hard—because the left is creating this false dichotomy that somehow you either have to be for more uh, vote, more voting, and more registration, or you're in favor of suppression and integrity. And the reality is, it's not a false choice. Right. It's not a. Dichotomy. We can increase voter participation, but we can also have election integrity. So the Supreme Court sent a clear message that states are allowed to enact common sense election integrity measures, that we can have people voting, but we want to make sure that everyone has confidence in the results.
2: Vote in the precinct you're voting in. If you vote out of precinct, it's, your vote is not going to count. That's, that's one of the things that you want. And there's going to be no more voter, just- uh, ballot harvesting.
13: Yes, and, and just once again to put this stuff in context and how the left characterizes stuff, and this was in our briefings, and, and you know I brought this up to the court that restrictions or limits on out of precinct voting, you know they act like this is some like crazy or novel concept. I mean, the the reality is a majority, a majority of states in the District of Columbia have re- restrictions or limits on out precinct voting. And in places like Arizona, a majority of the people vote by mail. In fact, three-quarters of them vote by mail. So it's not even relevant anymore. So it's this false dichotomy. It's this narrative of the left that somehow if you believe in election integrity or the sanctity right. of people's right to vote, that somehow you know, you're in favor of X, Y, and Z, and they're trying to get everyone fired up because I think ultimately, Brian, what they wanna do is they want to nationalize elections so the far left can control elections. And, you know, they're already, you know, trying to centralize power in D.C. And this is all, you know, the classic neo-Marxist, you know, hard left playbook where, you know, they want to concentrate power because they want to control things. And that starts not only with, you know, our taking our private property and, you know, concentrating power via the tax Mark, code in D.C., but yeah, also elections.
2: We only have 10 sec, twenty seconds left, but he, are you right. going to run against Mark Kelly?
13: I am. I am. Thank you for bringing that up, Brian. It's going to be a tough fight. I need all the help I can get. But, yeah, we we need to make sure we have a center that represents Arizona values, that understands the role is not to make government bigger or more efficient. We need to make the federal government smaller. We need to return power to the states like the framers intended.
2: He should be doing what Kristen Sinema is in standing up for the border, at least for the filibuster. He has been uh, radio silent. And what's happening at your border is a, is a is anti-American. Forget about Republican or Democrat. Okay. We
13: got we got three lawsuits it's, it's
2: a threat to national security by it uh, mr. Attorney General thanks so much congratulations on the win thank you thank you
9: Brian from the Fox News Podcasts Network download and listen to the untold story with Martha McCallum the host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com
1: The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The things that unite us,
5: America's past of which we're so proud, our hopes and aspirations for the future of the world and this much-loved country, these things far outweigh what little divides us. And so tonight, we reaffirm that Jew and Gentile, we are one nation under God, that black and white, we are one nation indivisible, that Republican and Democrat, we are all Americans, tonight, with heart and hand, through whatever trial and travail, we pledge ourselves to each other and to the cause of human freedom—the cause that has given light to this land and hope to the world—and
2: that is uh, Ronald Reagan, 1986, uh, trying to lift this nation up and say all the good things that are happening, even though we're far from perfect. By, by Iran, the way, Iran—the Iran Contra scandal was raging back then. Did not make him look good, and he was actually—he uh, was deposed once he left office. But he always saw the opposition. He always saw the bright side. That was part of the reason why he was elected, part of the reason why there's an airport named after him, and why Republicans and Democrats, for the most part, laud him. Joining us now, a person who understands history, and Ronald Reagan's place in it, but especially Abe Lincoln's place in it. John Cribb joins us now, author of what many people think is the best Lincoln book of of his day, Old Abe. It's a novel full of facts, if you ask me. Uh, uh, So let's talk about the Fourth of July, John. Welcome back.
14: Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me, and happy Happy Independence Day weekend.
2: Uh, absolutely. I know you're upbeat about it. Are you surprised how critical we are of our own country on this country's birthday at this point?
14: Yeah, it makes me uh, very sad because I'm old enough to remember the bicentennial in, in uh, 1976. And uh, how, how you know, what a grand celebration it was, and how we really set aside differences. And we've been through some tough times uh, in the early 70s with Vietnam and, uh, you know, Watergate and uh, some bad uh, economy and world crisis. But people came together and really paid tribute to the American Revolution and the, and the uh, Declaration of Independence. And we're now five years away from the 250th. Uh, anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, and I, I'm worried about what it's it's going to be if we stay on the trajectory we're on now.
2: In, in what respect are you worried?
14: Well, I mean, as as you well know, uh, there's been these arguments have have been made in the last few years, especially, and they seem to be getting louder that the founding was not so great after all. It was just a bunch of you know white guys that talked a good game, but instituted. Uh, racism and uh, and slavery, and uh, this is being taught in schools. Uh, some students were being even being taught that you know 1619 was the real founding, not uh, the, the year that uh, the first enslaved Africans came to colonial Virginia, not 1776. Uh, I don't know if you saw the task force report that just came out of the uh, U.S. Archives, where our founding documents are are housed and you know are enshrined. Uh, and it's about racism, and it says that the rotunda, this is from the archives itself, That the rotunda on Constitution Avenue, where thousands of Americans go to see their founding documents, that the rotunda is an example of structural racism and uh, that trigger warnings should be put up. I don't know what that means. They're going to put up signs that say, you know, warning, founders ahead or something. But uh, this is all, you know, this, if this line of argument carries the day, then I think that. In five years, our 250th anniversary is just going to be a year-long scowling at, uh, at American history, and we have, to, we have to push back
2: about it now. Absolutely. And isn't it heartening when you put out a book like Old Abe, it gets such uh, relevance and resonates so well? You know, that when you go to the National Archives, it's packed. I was just at the uh, Greenbrier. A yeah. bomb shelter was supposed to keep uh, American government going. Should it's the Soviets attack? It still gets huge yeah. lines. The Hermitage, Monticello, yeah. Mount Vernon. People go out yeah. and seek our history. Do you think we're giving voice to people with these uh, anti-American views? And do you think maybe it's our fault in the media?
14: Yeah, I and mean, some. Certainly not yours. And I saw the, I saw the program at the Greenbrier. I'm, uh Fox Nation. I saw you close that big door. That was great. Uh, thank <laughs> That's you. a great program. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I think people are beginning to to push back. People, people like like you, and we need more of it. And we need to remind people that uh, that yes, our founding was flawed. And Lincoln knew that. Uh, Lincoln, you know, he argued that the founders knew that the uh, that slavery was was very wrong. Of course, uh, Jefferson, as, as you know, Bryan called uh, uh, slavery a cruel war against human nature itself. Um, and in an early draft of the uh, Declaration of Independence. Uh, Franklin called it an atrocious debasement of human nature. Uh, but Lincoln, Lincoln pointed out, and this is the story people need to know, Lincoln pointed out uh, that the founders, even though they knew slavery was wrong, they, they just felt like they could not uh, defeat the greatest military power in, in the world, or one of them, uh, uh, Britain, and uh, launch a new nation, hold 13 very different states together, and get rid of slavery all at once. It was just too large a task. But what they could and did do was enshrined in the Declaration of Independence, the other founding documents, principles that spelled the doom of slavery. And that was a magnificent step forward. It came at a time when the vast majority of people in the world uh, in world history, had lived with very little uh, freedom at all. This was this was a country that the world had been waiting for for centuries, and those promise, those those principles enshrined in the Declaration of Independence, were a promise to future generations. And uh, that's uh, ultimately, of course, what the Civil War uh, was became a fight to redeem that promise uh, for uh, enslaved Americans. And we have been moving steadily uh, closer and closer to those principles throughout. Our history, so the founding uh, was tragically flawed by slavery. I think everybody realizes that, uh, but in another sense, it was a glorious beginning of a long journey that has brought freedom and hope to millions of people, both in this country and around around the world, and that's the story. Uh, that we need to remember and celebrate.
2: Right. It shows a story of progress, right? I mean, it, it yeah. shows we kept getting better and better. And then we finally, when the rubber hits the road and civil war is unavoidable, half the country leaves before uh, Abraham Lincoln could actually even get to the White House. Next thing you know, the... Uh, the the Confederate Army is within striking distance of sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue, and we have yet to convene the Northern Army. The Union forces aren't even together yet. You think we have problems now? That's a problem.
14: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. You're exactly right. Uh, that first battle land battle of the Civil War, at Manassas, was fought right on the doorstep of the uh, the Capitol. So we we have definitely been through worse times than this. And uh, but the, the country is a, so much a better place now. Uh, than it was, you know, uh, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, and uh, we need to we need to remember that. And, and and there are a lot of people who seem to be want to uh, to. Spend the line that we're still living with Jim Crow or something. That's just simply not true. And Lincoln, you know, Lincoln knew that those founding principles. As long as each generation rededicates itself to the founding principles and passes those principles on to the next uh, generation, as long as we do that, uh, then we'll keep moving toward those uh, those principles. If we don't do that, if we start, you know trashing ourselves and forget leaving behind those founding principles, uh, then we'll we'll lose our country. Uh, And and, and Lincoln knew that, too.
2: Do you think part of the problem is that we don't know our history well enough to know where we came from? Is the other part of it is we've never known a society that wasn't free? So it's not like we, you know, the first generation, they get it. They knew what they got. The second generation knew what we had. Then we started right. realizing how different we were, and South Carolina tries to secede, and Jackson reins them back in. Yeah. and we, That was the big thing, lacing the states together while expanding westward and southward. It was an impossible right. task. But now that we got the country together outside, we don't know what we're doing with Puerto Rico, perhaps. Who knows if there's a commonwealth out there that could become a state. I'm not sure. But now we look around and we say we're so different. Man, we were different in the book that you wrote, uh, Old Abe.
14: Yes, we sure were. And and you made a, a good point in that we, we – and Lincoln sounded the same warning, but you just sounded too, that the further away we moved from the uh, the founding and the Revolutionary War. Uh, the the uh, the more in danger we are losing connection with uh, with those principles. Um, he gave a speech on that way back in 1838 when he just uh, moved to Springfield, Illinois, and he said that the founding generation was once a mighty forest of oaks covering the land, but the hurricane of time had swept over them and had uh, felled them, and there are only one or two lonely trunks standing. He said, but uh, he said that uh, he he pointed out as we get further away from the founding. Uh, Then we have to work harder to keep the spirit of 76 alive. And he used another great metaphor. He said, the founders were the pillars of the temple of liberty. He said, they've crumbled away now. They've passed away and we have to replace them. We can't count on replacing them with leaders because sometimes we'll have good leaders, sometimes bad ones. But he said, We can replace them with the, he said, the general intelligence of the American people, the sound morality of the American people, and with reverence to the Constitution and the laws. So he was talking about education, civic education, knowing history and patriotism, uh, keeping the spirit of 76 alive. And he said, if we do that. Uh, then we get to keep our country. If we don't do that, we lose our country. And he said, if we are going to be defeated, it's not going to be from foreign power. He said it's going to be from inside. He said, if destruction be our lot, we ourselves must be its author and finisher. Uh, so Lincoln, Lincoln was, you know, way back then was uh, was pointing out we have to keep, uh, we have to keep rededicating ourselves to the Declaration of Independence
2: John Cribb is with us now author of old Abe and novel so uh, John when I in discussing the book that I had and you were kind enough to review President the Freedom Fighter you saw the uncorrected proof by the way yeah uh, and you found a, a great, couple of great things book. thank you uh, you found a couple of things and it's helped my, I sent it to the editor thank you uh, but but John one thing I found out is you know you got to be a person of your times even when the when the Civil War starts America's yeah. not ready to get behind fighting to free the slaves. Not yet. Right. That's a, They're fighting yeah. to keep the and, country together, and Lincoln knew it. Right.
14: He knew that, and you do a great job of outlining that uh, in your, your book, which uh, you're, uh, Lincoln fans are going to be really excited about the president of Freedom Fighter when it comes out this fall. It is, it is uh, I loved reading it, um, and you do a very good job of that. Lincoln, uh, Lincoln knew that uh, if he moved too fast— uh, you know, some bad things could happen. He could lose the border states uh, like Kentucky and Maryland and Missouri, and that if they he lost those, then they're going to lose the war, which would be too much on on their hands. And he knew that uh, that you know there was a lot of. Racism in the North, and that if he declared this is a war uh, to free the slaves uh, right away, uh, that a lot of them he was worried would just throw down their guns and walk off the, you know, walk off the yeah. and he was
7: probably right about that. So so, um, so he had it was, to wait. It was, it was,
14: yes, he had to wait, uh, and he took he took a lot of heat for that from from people like Frederick Douglass, uh, who you cannot blame them for being impatient at all. Um, but uh, in the end, uh, he steered the course that needed to be steered and uh, brought the country out the other side, and di- and we got that new birth of freedom that he talked about in the Gettysburg uh, address. Uh, it's it's part of the brilliant American story that uh, people need to know, and we should not be trashing our own history. We should be uh, celebrating it. We should know it works and all, you know. and you do a great job of that in the president the freedom fighter you there's there's nobody on a pedestal in that that book it's you know you, you took a you take an honest look at uh at lincoln but it's still in the end is a brilliant hopeful story right. and that's what american history is it's a brilliant hopeful story
2: and it's not and if you ever want to prove that america is not who you know it's what you know and it, you can chop anything if you put your mind to it look at two people in impossible circumstances Lincoln, in object poverty, his mom dies at a young age, an abusive father in the middle of the wilderness, one year of formal schooling, and that's the man that saves us. The other person that inspires us and helps combine with Lincoln is born a slave, escapes and becomes an international speaking star and personality. That is Frederick Douglass. These people came from nowhere and nowhere else in the world. And still to this day, I'd argue almost no place in the world. Can you go from nowhere to somewhere? And that's what people right. take for granted because they've never known something different.
14: Exactly. I mean, where else in America? Like you say, there's, there, it's, there, it happens sometimes other places, but it happens by far the most here. And, you know, not only do, do those two men come from nowhere and rise to the top, uh, but their paths almost miraculously uh, converge. And, you know, that is part of the great Story that is the miracle of America stories like that of, of, of uh Abraham Lincoln and uh Frederick Douglas were in entirely different circumstances in both in, in both in, in you know far less right. than great circumstances and uh they become friends. And you know that in itself is such—it's such a great story uh, for America, and it's the kind of thing right. that we need to celebrate as we go into uh, our, our uh, Independence Day. And,
2: and when you write Old Abe, you know clearly, uh, Abe Lincoln made himself learned of the founding fathers. So it was he didn't want to get yes. an A on a test. He read everything he get right. a hold. He he wanted everything and get a hold of. Yep. And he yep. uh, he also was a critic sometimes of America. He was a critic of the Sp- of the, the war with Mexico. You know, right. he did not yeah. want us going in there uh, fighting with Texas uh, to to uh, against Santa Ana and, and that Mexican war. He was very critical of Andrew Jackson. You could be critical of the yeah. country, but no one ever doubts his patriotism. That's what worries me. People said that they want no part of this country where I think in previous generations we wanted to make this country better. Do you share right. in that assessment?
14: Yes, I, I, entirely. And And a country— uh, that teaches uh, people to be, you know, shrug their shoulders at best at its own history, or roll their eyes, and at worst to loathe it. Which is, I think, I'm afraid, what's happening now in, in some schools and 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 some, uh, you know, uh, town halls. Uh, if you a country that, that that comes to loathe itself is in deep, deep trouble, and we will not have uh, much of a country left because. As you know, we depend on, as as Lincoln and the founders knew, in a country like ours, uh, we depend on each generation preserving and protecting those founding principles, knowing how important they are, and passing them on to the next generation. If that doesn't happen, we lose our our country. And if we're going to look at our country with nothing but a jaundiced eye and learn to uh, despise our own past, we're we're in bad trouble I so you. i think it's very very important that lots of people push back uh which is you know what you're doing what i'm trying to do and and i think people all over the country are beginning to push back and we need to push back hard on, on this narrative that that the country's uh history is mainly a story of oppression and racism because it's just gotcha. not true and this yeah. country deserves a lot better we're just
2: that. asking to cheer for your home team that's all john cribb author yeah. of old <laughs> Abe, a novel and the mike pence called the best lincoln book out there and i can't argue. Best one he's read, uh, and I can't argue with that at all. John, thanks so well, much. Maybe, maybe Have a great fourth. This
14: fall when yours comes out. Thank you,
2: Brian. Thanks. All right. Go get him. Uh, back in a moment.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
15: Critical race theory isn't being taught to kindergartners. It is something law students study. People are flipping out, crashing school board meetings, Amanda, even getting arrested over critical race theory, and it's all based on these lies. This new right-wing obsession so successful in revving people up. It's almost like the insurrection
9: at school board meetings.
2: No, it isn't, Don Lemon. You're 100% wrong, and it's not a lie. I got proof. Every day I have proof. We hear the stories. We talk to the parents. They have it on Zoom. But here's more proof. Here's Sutter Conrad, North Carolina third-grade teacher. Cut 12.
8: You know what they say about people that speak out on these things. Um, I'm sure the racist word will be used. Uh, but that's that's not what this is about. this is about. This is about protecting our children. This is about keeping them from being racist towards each other, it's its anti-racism, in my opinion, to show that what they're calling anti-racism um, or becoming anti-racist, as they've put it, isn't that. It is actually teaching mm-hmm. to look at people based on their gender or their skin color instead right. of the content of their character.
2: And look at what they're telling her to teach. Cut 10
8: been compelled to take four trainings this year on um, pretty much that where we had to admit our white privilege. We had to confess that we were oppressed. Um, we part of it was a, a matrix of oppression is what they called it. And um, that we had to yield our power to marginalized people.
2: So what is that Don Lemon? all well, you critics it's made up that's a third grade teacher being takes four classes on crt to teach her kids unbelievable hey go to uh go to fox nation download what made america great i think you'll love these stories it will help you understand how great this country is back in a moment
9: new from the fox news podcasts network
4: my name
0: is kennedy and welcome to my podcast which will i humbly say single-handedly save the world you're
9: welcome it's kennedy saves the world subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com
1: live from the fox news radio studios in new york city fresh off the set of fox and friends it's america's receptive voice Brian Kilmeade
2: Hi everybody, Brian Kilmeade Welcome back to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show From New York, heard around the country, heard around the world We watched the President of the United States come out And take a bow because the jobs report Was good, 850000 Then give himself full credit Say his $1.9 trillion Partisan plan is the reason Really? We're coming back, going back to work The vaccine has uh, accelerated I give him, uh, give him plaudits For being able to distribute but for the longest time, at least six weeks now, everyone's maybe two months, maybe more. Anyone who wanted a vaccine get a, got a vaccine. So we're at where we're at. 850,000 jobs unemployment uh, is at 5.9%. And he comes out and he took a few questions. And I'm so proud of the press. I don't know who was asking what question, but they asked about Afghanistan. Let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three
3: prosecutors in New York City have revealed the criminal charges against the Trump organization and its chief financial officer. The indictment accuses Alan Weisselberg and the former president's company of a fraud lasting years.
2: Uh, that is uh, a targeting. The Trump organization indicted after three and a half years of the investigation. They think this is the biggest problem in New York. you got to be kidding me. A bad example, a bad example of pure politics using Criminal justice system for your political enemies. This is something done in Brazil, something done in Pakistan. I'm not used to seeing it here while they bury the many scandals around Governor Cuomo in New York.
0: Number two. Randy Weingart put the tweet where she says, So we tried to reopen schools safely since April 2020. The teachers union is trying to find new ways to close schools by saying children and all the staff have to be vaccinated by next right. year, which they know a lot of parents are not going to want to do. So they're finding new ways to close schools, but saying, no, 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 we really were, we're the ones trying right. to open it.
2: Scrutiny on our schools as our teachers union now says they've been trying to open the schools since April of 2020. Nobody believes that. It's a flat out lie. They've hurt this country in more ways than, uh, than you could possibly imagine. We'll talk about that as well as the critical race theories, teachers speaking out, and what they're forced to do and forced to teach in K through 12.
0: Number one. I would call it a gutting of the Voting Rights Act or at least what was left of it.
4: That decision plus these two today cut to the heart of democracy.
3: This is precisely why we need for the People Act and the John Lewis Voter Advancement Act. What we're seeing is we're seeing the politicization of the courts.
2: No, we're not. Victory for the voters. Dems furiously pledged to pack the court because they didn't have a Supreme Court decision go their way. And the regulations put in Arizona now that the pandemic is done is ruled constitutional, not Jim Crow 2.0. And with me right now to discuss this, a man who wants to be part of government soon. He's done everything else in his life. Best-selling author. Came from uh, humble beginnings to be serving our military and go to an Ivy League school and excel there. J.D. Vance joins us now. He's going to be a candidate. He is a candidate for Ohio. The Ohio Senate seat currently occupied by Rob Portman. J.D. Vance, welcome back.
14: Thanks,
7: Brian. Thanks for having me.
2: Congratulations on jumping in. Before we get to the issues, what was the deciding factor that said, this is worth my time?
7: Well, I just looked at the state of the country and the very real problems that we have, and I felt like most of the politicians who are out there are, you know, maybe a little boring Uh, maybe they're just they're they're used to the old slogans and uh, what we needed was somebody who's not in politics who's got a new voice but also is, is just willing to say the things that need to be said is willing to be a little bit interesting and talk about the real issues as a candidate and rather than just complain about the fact that there weren't enough politicians who fit that bill i decided well might as well go and give it a try myself
2: so what have you done in terms of putting an organization together
7: so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really thrilled about the group that we've got. Uh, we've got a, a solid uh, media team. Uh, we've got a campaign manager who was actually Ron DeSantis's camp, deputy campaign manager in 2017, 2018. Uh, we've got a solid fundraising team. We've really got you know the core part of of a campaign team that's come together, and I think. Uh, will we'll bring us along to victory. I will. I will offer just a plug. Uh, go to jdvance.com if folks want to figure out how they can help us because we definitely need all the help we can get.
2: Absolutely. So uh, JD, you want to be part of the fray and certainly going to be sprinting to uh, 2022. And Rob Portman says I'm going to retire. He had that. He was OMB director for a while, looked at as a moderate Republican. Is that how you would characterize yourself?
7: No, I'm, I'm, I'm a conservative Republican, uh, Brian. And you know what I, what I care most about is whether Americans are lab- able to live good lives in their own country. Uh, and I think so much of what's gone wrong is that on the one hand, you have our ruling class that has effectively plundered the middle class of the country. they ship jobs overseas. They haven't invested in their own country. And instead of actually accepting their own failure, they call the middle class racists or bigots or idiots when they dare to complain about the conditions of their own country. So you've got people who are struggling harder and harder to get ahead economically. But when they actually complain to their leaders, they're not listened to, they're called bigots instead. And I think we've got to attack both the cultural and the economic problems in this country. And I think a conservative message is what's necessary to do that.
2: So 850,000 jobs added, unemployment down to 5.9%. Uh, the president of the United States give full credit to the American Rescue Plan, the 1.9 trillion that he added on a partisan basis, right after we put 800 billion in in December in the last months of the Trump administration.
7: Well, of course that's a joke, Brian. I don't think anybody believes that, even the Biden administration people who say it. I, you know, I don't know that Joe Biden is really thinking or believing anything, but I don't think his team even believes that he's actually responsible for what's going on in the economy. We have a great economy. Uh, right now because, frankly, President Trump governed the country effectively, because we have vaccines that are getting people out and about again and unafraid to live their lives again, and because we have um, a country that I that I think has is, is, is been well positioned over the last four years, uh, we all know that the presidential policies don't really start to take an effect and don't really start to have an impact. Uh, for, for at least a year after after they happened. So I, I really think that what's going on right
5: now, the credit belongs to the previous administration, not this one.
2: Here's what Joe Biden just said.
5: We've now created over 3 million jobs since it took office. More jobs than have ever been created in the first five months of any presidency in modern history, thanks to the incredible work of the entire team. This is historic progress, pulling our economy out of the worst crisis in 100 years. And America was ranked first in Bloomberg's COVID resilience ranking. None of this happened by accident. Again, it's a direct result of the American rescue plan.
2: So he's taking credit now that the vaccine's out and people go literally go back to work, jobs they left through no fault of their own. He's taking credit for that. But your thoughts?
7: Well, it's obviously just a joke. Uh, and, And again, I don't think anybody actually believes what Biden is saying, not even Biden himself, but more importantly, Think about what an opportunity, a missed opportunity, this is for the Biden administration. You know, they could actually bring the country together by giving some credit. Uh, To the the man, uh, they dare not speak his name. It's like Lord Voldemort. They won't even say, well, maybe Donald Trump deserves some credit and his administration deserves some credit for the situation that we're in. But, of course, that would actually be a unifying message given how politically divided we are. And I think it's just a shame that they won't actually give some credit where it's due. It divides the country. And and like I said, nobody actually believes it to begin with.
2: So I know that you went back and deleted some of your tweets about President Trump. You've been uh, critical at times of him. Where do you stand? Because he's going to be a factor in 2022.
7: Oh, he'll be a huge factor in 2022, and I, th- I think deservedly. So, you look. You know, I, I um I was critical of Trump five six years ago. I've never hidden from that fact. I've never pretended that I wasn't critical. And the tweets that I deleted, I actually t- tweeted. You know, or I deleted the tweets months ago. I I delete my tweets every now and then uh, because I'm a business guy and I don't want too too much of a paper trail out there. Uh, but I, I didn't delete them in anticipation of the Senate race. And if you look at what I've written, Brian, I've been very open about the fact that I didn't think that Trump would deliver on his promises. I think he was able uh, to be a good president. I was wrong. I think it's important to admit when we're wrong about somebody and not try to hide from that fact. And I think it's a little bit weird uh, that the, the folks in CNN and a lot of the mainstream press and the DNC are going after me as if I've hidden from this fact when I've been very open with people about how I felt about the president, both that I used to be critical and that I eventually came around.
2: Yeah, like a lot of people who ended up supporting him. Uh, just, uh, I think it's your answer. You should welcome the question if that's your answer. You, you join a lot of people or some of his uh, or some of his supporters. Uh, I was uh, stunned by this, and you probably don't know this, but President uh, Biden just kind of stands at the podium after he's done, and I and people start yelling out questions. It's so bizarre, all of them about <laughs> Afghanistan, and I'm heartened by it because I seem to be the only one who cares that we're just leaving everything that we've done and not leaving anything, any resources for the Afghan forces to fight. Here's what General Jack Keane told me this morning, Cut 29.
10: What's happening operationally with the Taliban, they're waiting for us to leave. They've taken over some rural districts that are not military consequential, to be sure, very consequential to the livelihood and welfare of the people that are now under their rule. And they're, they're holding back for the United States to depart, and then they'll start to mass on the provincial capital's major cities to begin to roll those up. When they do that, they're no longer an insurgency. They're actually an army, kind of like when we saw ISIS invade Iraq back in 2014.
2: And at that time, we ended up saving Baghdad, and it seems as though President Biden has no interest in doing that. I don't know if we have the capability of doing that. We're pulling out the Bob Grom air brace today.
7: Yeah, you know, I I really worry about what could happen when we pull out of Afghanistan. Um, But but I will say, Brian, I'm actually... More worried about what happens if we stay in Afghanistan another ten years. You know, I, I think this is one thing that Trump was right about. And if if you talk to him, he's very frustrated because he feels like the generals actually pushed back against having a competent, capable pullout from Afghanistan. They basically fought him tooth and nail and tried to prevent anything like that from happening. And and one of the real tragedies of where we are right now is I think because the generals fought a sitting president of the United States, we're probably in a much weaker position in Afghanistan than we should be. Uh, I don't think there's a good option. I'll just be honest with you. I don't think there's a good option. But what I really don't want us to do is spend another ten years, lose a lot of additional American lives. Uh, but but pretty much anything we do here is going to be a disaster.
2: But we've lost one life in two years. We are not in a hot war, and it keeps us a, a looking glass on China, Russia, Al Qaeda, ISIS, and gives these you know gives that society another few. We could gradually pull the plug, but to do it and tell NATO later, and the way we're doing it is basically saying, Taliban, there you go. And I think about people like you who fight, put on the uniform, wonder, what did I waste my time for?
7: You know, it's, look, Brian, it's, it's a very fair question, and it's a fair concern. Uh, I, I do think that we, we are going to have some really serious consequences whenever we pull out of Afghanistan. Uh, but, I, I, I again, I, I, I'm really concerned about the perpetuation of these forever conflicts, especially when you have a military leadership like the one that we have, seems more interested sometimes in talking about woke politics or white privilege or white rage than they do about winning wars. And, and again, I, I think that we, we, the, the troops have performed admirably in Afghanistan. They've done an incredible great job in Afghanistan. Uh, but I, I do think that the civilian leadership today and the military leadership, the generals over the last few years have not done well by this country
2: yeah uh, i would to break down what happened the decisions made the surges that took place and didn't take place by the way, Barack Obama complained about uh, generals not listening to him too uh President Trump had uh, the same thing but I really think when it comes to this there there would have been a there would have been a halfway point where we gradually stop writing the checks they begin to stand up more on their own this guy Gahani is going to end up a professor over at Harvard somewhere uh he was a partner <laughs> Karzai isn't. Uh, and he wasted a lot of American time and money. But uh, JD, I know it's exciting time. I look forward to talking to you because these issues are moving targets. And if people want to know what kind of center you'll be, just by commenting on in the news on a regular basis with your stances uh, instead of slogans, you don't you're not going to get them. You're going to get give us real answers. So I, I look forward to your run. Also in this race, Josh Mendel, former state treasurer, Jane uh, Timken, uh, Bernie Moreno, and Mike Gibbons. Uh, J.D. Vance is also running on the Republican side. Best of luck, J.D.
7: Thanks, Brian. Again, folks, go to J.D. Vance to learn how to help us. We need all the help we can get. Thanks for having me. And like I said, we'll always talk real issues, and I appreciate you having me on.
2: You got it. Uh, He's author of Hillbilly Elegy, which is his story. Back in a moment with the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll take your calls. Then Ian O'Connor brings us inside the change in college sports. It's going to affect what we watch on TV on Saturdays uh, and uh, throughout March Madness and beyond. And maybe your kid. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download
9: and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld. The co-host of The Five. Like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Radio That makes you think this is the Brian Kilmeade show.
12: Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings?
5: I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Oops, that is getting very tough to
2: defend these days because there's another revelation over the last two days. New York Post got a hold. Of additional photographs and additional information and in emails showing uh, from Rudy Giuliani's lawyer from a copy of Hunter Biden's laptop, which it might be his, it might not be his, according to Hunter Biden, that shows Joe Biden on Air Force Two flying down to Mexico City, setting the groundwork for a deal that, get this, Hunter Biden would execute. Once he became a member of the Burisma board, you know, a guy that's good at trains is a perfect energy executive in the Ukraine. It makes total sense. Here's Miranda Devine, who's got a book coming out on this. She unwound what we know and what the photograph says. Cut 32.
4: Uh, We've run now two photographs, uh, one this week of the Uh, Mexican billionaires having breakfast with Joe Biden and Hunter Biden in the vice president's residence in 2015. And a couple of weeks ago, we ran another photograph and another story about how Joe Biden had showed up at a dinner that Hunter Biden was holding at Café Milano in Washington, D.C., in April of 2015 for uh, business partners from various countries such as Ukraine, Russia, Kazakhstan and Mexico. And so our story this week, uh, today and yesterday, is about those those Mexican billionaires who Hunter and his... uh, his uncle, uh, Joe's brother, younger brother, Jim Biden, were very interested in parlaying their cash uh, into their own pockets. So this is a typical uh, Joe Biden who pretended during the election campaign that he knew absolutely nothing about Hunter Biden's business affairs overseas. So it can't be
2: true. I mean, you're going to tell me the picture's doctored? He continues to say nothing to do with it. Press continues to back off on this. He is not being aggressively pursued. There's going to be somebody who's going to yell out that question. Was that you in Mexico City with your son and Carlos Slim and another billionaire uh, back in 2016? And does that have anything to do with the deal that was ultimately set up between Mexico City, those two billionaires and the Burisma Energy Company, which has Hunter Biden as a board member? It's unbelievable what this crackhead was doing. He's trading on his dad's name and how his dad made it happen. Where is this money? Did anyone pay taxes on it? And what's going on with the investigation of Hunter Biden? How long does it take to look at his laptop, ask him where it is, and see how much his taxes are? It took them, I don't know, how long did they have Donald Trump's taxes? Six weeks? Before they came up with this indictment, maybe six months, maybe four months, I'm not sure. Four months, tops. How long does it take to investigate a guy that said, I've been on crack all this time and left every loose end possible out there? Where is it? So, this story is worth reading in the New York Post. It's got pictures, it's got emails. All we need him to do is say that was, and Fox is looking into the authentic, uh, um Going through the, authentic, uh, the author and making sure it's an authentic picture first. Because you never know what people could do in these days. So you want to make sure he's not put there. You don't want to be duped. You don't want to be wrong about the president of the United States. But Air Force Two down to meet these guys. They said they wanted a picture. There's emails. Can I have a copy of that picture? If those emails are authentic, and so far all of them have proven none of them have been disavowed. You want a copy of the picture of a place that you visited in Mexico City with your dad who had Air Force Two. This is not hard to follow up on. I don't think. Does Barack Obama knew all this stuff was going on? You think he's happy about it? Ian O'Connor next.
9: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher
7: of The Federalists, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast.
9: Subscribe and listen now by going to
1: foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It moves the whole
5: age much younger. I normally wouldn't meet uh, an athlete in that category in football until after their junior year, Uh, but now all of a sudden it starts at the high school level going into college and uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, 17-year-old and their family, in most cases, will be doing the interviewing.
2: So Lee Steinberg talking about the new ruling the NCAA is allowing, and it's still murky at best. Some states have already put in parameters that might be a little different that allows these players to make money off their name, a car dealership. They could do the local signings, uh, whatever they want to sell their jerseys. They have an entrepreneurial effort uh, they're doing online. They can't get right now. There's no salary to be a University of Alabama baseball, basketball, or football player, but they can go ahead and do outside things to earn money, Uh, much like a music student, for example, that's on full scholarship. There's a lot to get your head around. Uh, Ian O'Connor's full-time is covering mostly uh, New York sports, uh, but also that includes college. He's got a great wide swath on ESPN for years. His last three books have been New York Times bestsellers. The fourth one's likely to be, too. Ian O'Connor writing for the New York Post now. Welcome back. Hey,
15: Brian. How are you?
2: Good, good. I want to get to – I know you're writing mostly about the Yankees these days, and Hal Steinbrenner actually spoke yesterday. But I want to get your take. What's your take on – this, uh, Supreme, this Supreme Court ruling and now the NCAA ruling that these players can earn some money.
15: I, I think it's a good thing for college sports, Brian, for this reason. There's, for decades, and you probably know this, there's been this underground economy in college sports, particularly with the revenue sports, basketball and football, of kids getting improper payments from all kinds of different parties. Uh, to attend colleges and, and to play at, at major Division one universities. And now that economy is moving above ground out in the open, and the schools don't have to pay the freight. Uh, basically, if there are local, regional, or national businesses that want to make marketing deals with some of these top athletes, they're now allowed to do that. And so I have no idea what a Zion Williamson would be worth today if he was allowed to go out and make these deals. He's now, of course, in the NBA. But I I think it makes sense on on every different level, and particularly when you consider the fact that for decades uh, these athletes were getting money uh, improperly uh, relative to NCAA rules, and now that's no longer going to be the case for the most part.
2: Yeah, here's Graham Mertz, quarterback at Wisconsin. He was asked about what this means for him. Cut 40.
15: For me, the next point is just educating
12: myself on on what comes out, what the NCAA decides to do. It's a great opportunity to grow and to to grow your brand, but it's also how can you not let that take away from the team goal of winning games.
2: Right. So he can go do this. So, so I guess he could sell his jersey, his likeness. But do you worry about the control element of it, Ian?
15: I think so, Brian. I think that that's going to be interesting to watch in the coming years. I think one thing to make clear, university is not allowed to go to a high school recruit. Let's say uh, Brian Kilmeade is a top soccer recruit coming out. I'm recruiting you to, to play soccer at my university. I can't say to you, Brian, I guarantee you seventy-five dollars to $100,000 each year in marketing deals. I'm not allowed to use that as a recruiting inducement. So those promises – at least by the letter of the law, are not allowed to be made by schools. And so I I think this will uh, actually help college sports because particularly in basketball, you're seeing now these – these professional leagues that are serving as a bridge between high school and the NBA popping up. College basketball has to find a way to compete with those leagues and keep some talent in school, and I think this is a way of doing it.
2: Yeah, I think it's the Gatorade League, so this in-between, so you think you will be a first-round pick. You have no interest in going to school. The age is 19 in basketball so to get into the NBA, so what are you going to do? If you don't want to be one and done – There's a place for you to go. So here's the thing, though, and Ian, I could easily see this happening. University of Nebraska football coach comes up and says, listen, if you come here, uh, I like to think your opportunities for marketing are pretty strong, and I'd like you to meet the local dealership. Uh, It's owned by my (laughs) former player, and this guy guy owns a restaurant. I think we're going to do some autographs. He usually has the players to sign autographs there. Uh, So can you see that
15: happening? Well, certainly it's not allowed and you, you and think I it's not allowed I, though really well yeah I, you're not you're not allowed to use that as an inducement do i think it will happen of course recruiters have been breaking rules in college sports for decades so i, I think it will happen it's not supposed to happen and, and look the the smaller schools in division one have never really been able to compete for the top high school recruits nationally anyway with the big schools. so so nothing's going to change there but you are not allowed to use that as a recruiting inducement if you do it, and I do think some coaches will if you get caught, you're supposed to get punished. Do I think it will happen? Yes so yeah, that will happen
2: see I actually would i the way I set it up i don't even i don't even know if that's illegal the way I read it because I will say we're very you know our alumni are very loyal to our team, and they're very well, they're successful gonna, businessmen it, it, in the area, and they usually my running back last year I had five autograph shows uh, down the block. Look, Can I not say that?
15: Recruiters always attack the gray areas in the NCAA rulebook. That is a gray area. I think you're it pushing it there. Okay. And and so I, I think that's improper, but certainly coaches will try to get away with that, no question.
2: All right. So uh, Ian O'Connor, our guest, uh, he just wrote uh, Belichick, I believe was his uh, last bestseller. New ones, Coach K and the Rise and Rain. Of, uh, of Mike Krzyzewski. So that's going to be great. It's going to be his final year here, too, as well. So the timing is uh, fortuitous. Did you know that before you wrote it?
15: No, I didn't. Uh, I actually thought he'd coach another uh, two, three years. He's a young 74. But I actually think, Brian, in, in bridging the two subjects, I think one of the reasons Coach K is getting out is is this, is, is that the the game's going to change dramatically here. He's 74 years old now. Publicly, he said, this is not a reason. I'm not sure I really buy that. But the game is is really going to change, and I don't think he wants to put the time and effort in the next four or five years to reinvent himself one more time. And now, all of a sudden, we're finding ways to pay college athletes not through the school, but through uh, businesses, locally, regionally, nationally, whatever it might be. So, I actually think it's one of the reasons why he's decided to step away. So,
2: a couple other things. You used to cover the. Uh, I used to see you covering the Knicks when the Bulls were at the zenith and the Knicks were excellent team as well back then. Uh, I'm shocked to see that Scottie Pippen now calling Phil Jackson a racist uh, because Tony Kukoc took the final shot in the year that Michael Jordan wasn't on the team. Shaquille O'Neal responded to this, and I want to get your take. Cut 45.
12: I don't want to get involved with other people's beef, but
10: Phil's definitely not a racist. But I do know in in our line of work that he's coming
15: out with a new drink and he's coming out with a new book. So maybe this is all marketing.
2: I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's marketing, but, man, that's pretty brutal. To call the winningest coach in NBA history a racist when he cut 85% of his rosters, maybe more, have been black. Is that possible that Phil Jackson's a racist? Have you heard that?
15: Uh, no, and he has said some insensitive things over the years, but I, I was in the building that night. Brian, when Tony Kukoc made that shot after Phil Jackson called the play. One thing that Scottie Pippen forgot to mention is that with 18 seconds left, Phil Jackson called the timeout and ran the play for Scottie Pippen, who, who who took a shot and it hit the top of the backboard. That's the reason why Phil Jackson called the play for Kukoc with 1.8 seconds left. And so, no, I, I thought that the charge – I would listen to the players who have played for Phil Jackson over the years. The comments I've seen since Pippen made his remarks – have been basically supportive of Phil. And, again, I was there that night. The reason he called that play for someone not named Scotty Pippen was because Pippen didn't deliver when Phil set up the play for him with 18 seconds left.
2: Here's what Scotty said to uh, Dan Patrick. Cut 43.
15: But when so, you say a racial
10: move. Why would Tony, who was a rookie, get the last second shot and you put me up of bounce? That's what I mean, racial. Like, that was Scottie Pippen's team.
9: But,
12: but Scottie Pippen and, was but, but. on
10: pace to be an MVP that year, right? Why would you put him in a position not to be successful? Why wouldn't you put him in a position to succeed? Michael Jordan is not there. So who's next
2: in line for you? Does, it, does, that, does that help you at all? It doesn't help me. Ash
15: haunted by that decision he made not to be on the floor for those 1.8 seconds. And, of course, it came back to life in that Jordan documentary, The Last Dance on on ESPN. So I think he is really hurt by the fact that a lot of people remember that when they think of Scottie Pippen above all the great things he did on the floor, winning six championships. And that was a – listen, I, I've covered sports for 35 years. That's one of the, if not the worst decision I've ever seen an athlete make – in the postseason, to boycott his team at the end of a playoff game, man, it's it's hard to do something worse than that in a team context.
2: And just for people to know, because we're on a general news channel, not just sports that you used to. Scotty Pittman decided to sit down because they weren't calling his, uh, wouldn't call his name, so he sat out the rest of the game. Biggest one of the biggest, uh, obviously, regrets he anybody could ever have. But I thought he overcame. He is so much to be proud of. One of the greatest players to ever play. It's a shame that somebody at sixty is so unhappy with where his life has been. I want to bring you to something else. And Shaquille O'Neal commented on LeBron James saying "I the NBA really did the league harm by making them play through the playoffs right after the bubble season. And he's saying that that's why everybody's getting hurt. And everybody is getting hurt. But Shaq wouldn't hear of the complaining. Listen to this.
10: You're living in a world where people, 440 million
1: people has been laid off. And I'm making $200 million, you,
2: you won't get no complaining from me. Shaq called him out like very few people could. LeBron's got He's wanting a lot.
15: Well, I think that, uh, listen, they they wanted to play the 72 games this year for the TV money. That that was the magic number to hit. And I don't know if I recall too many NBA players at the time complaining about that decision. And so they, they jammed in those games. I think there's no question that has led to some of these injuries and it's hurt the playoffs because you're seeing star players Everybody's drop hurt. basically like flies. Yeah. But At the end of the day, uh, relative to the average everyday concern of of Americans, no, I don't think that registers very high on the list.
2: Plus, when you don't get fans in and you're not ripping tickets, they're losing money. So a lot of these uh, teams are losing money. And for the longest time, they were playing in front of absolutely no one. Um, Lastly, in big picture question. I believe, as an outsider, I've only been to one game, and it, there was no one at a nickname. It was only 500 people. It was unbelievable to be part of it. I think there's new appreciation, fans, players, and press. I predicted that, but you're there every day in the Yankee locker room, Nick locker room, writing for the New York Post. Have you seen more of a an appreciation for each other?
15: Uh, I would say, Brian, more for uh, the fans because – playing with fans uh, as opposed to without them last year and, and early this year, uh, it is such a difference in terms of atmosphere environment. And I think the athlete appreciation of the fan has gone to a, to a higher level we're, we're still not allowed in the locker rooms by the way the media really and so yeah most of the and even the press conferences a lot of them are still done via zoom even if you're sitting wow. in the stadium or arena in the press box so we're hoping that's going to change really soon in baseball we finally got access to pregame on the field uh so i i think the next step of course at some point here is going to reopen those locker rooms the question is when
2: very interesting. And lastly, Hal Steinbrenner, uh, who is his dad famously the most famous owner in sports in my lifetime, uh, would never have allowed any manager or general manager withstand this type of Yankee disappointment. Team that was favored to win the World Series is eight games back. His uh, son, Hal, yesterday said, Everyone stays in place. I'm disappointed everyone stays in place. You used to cover George Steinbrenner. How different is this? <laughs>
15: Very different, Brian. You know that. Uh, either either Boone or Cashman would be gone by now, I think. And Hal just has an entirely different approach. And I'm not saying that either guy. Now, Aaron Boone, he won in his first two seasons as Yankee manager, a combined 203 games, got to the ALCS. I I, I, I he deserves the entire season, in my opinion. Then make a decision. Brian Cashman, in his 24th season, has four rings, but they haven't won it all since 2009. So it's going to be fascinating to see if the Yankees miss the playoffs, what Hal decides to do, because you and I both know what George would have done in that same situation.
2: And he pointed out, even my, my dad's moves did not improve things. Firing Billy Martin four times, I think it was, or five. Um, uh, we know what he did with Lou Pinella and others that end up being great managers elsewhere. Uh, Dick Hauser, another guy who went to Kansas City and ended up being a legend, uh, having unbelievable success. But, Uh, I guess that's what Hal sees. It's kind of boring. You know, Ian, we came up, we were spoiled. Howard Cosell (laughs) was making people angry and always excited. Muhammad Ali, George Steinbrenner was firing people left and right, would dominate the headlines even when the Yankees were bad. It's a lot harder to do your job. Everyone's so politically correct.
15: Well, listen, uh, he did stick with uh, Joe Torre long enough for Torre to win four championships. Because he was
2: suspended,
15: right? (laughs) well no 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 not at that point no he wasn't he was already back and and when Joe Torrey was hired Steinbrenner made that hire and he stuck with him he won four titles now he forced him out basically after 07 right and and, and he, he stayed with Brian Cashman a long time uh, before before his sons came in and took over the operation and Cashman now could you believe that a general manager of the New York Yankees could last 24 years yeah but Cashman's found a way to do that, I think, with George, it wouldn't have lasted this long for him, but Hal has kept him in place. And, yeah, I think at some point here, if the Yankees continue this title drought, now uh, working on since, what, 2009, so it's 12 years, I I don't know how many more seasons can pass before a change is made uh, at that level.
2: So after they come back and beat Otani, one one of the most remarkable athletes I can remember from Japan, he pitches and hits uh, for power and pitches, it's like Babe Ruth days. Uh, and then he stopped uh, pitching famously when he left the Red Sox and went to the Yankees. This guy's doing both. But after they uh, racked him around and were up with a big lead, this was the story earlier this week. Cut 46.
6: And the pitch. Drill deep to right center field. Tie game. Oh, my goodness. A tie game on the
2: grand slam by Walsh. You think this could have killed the Yankee season, blowing a lead like that?
15: It's, it felt that way being in the building that night. That and Listen, it's a regular season loss. There's 162 games. Still a long way to go. But, man, I, I can't remember, Brian, a more devastating regular season result in baseball in my 30-plus years of doing this. <laughs> wow. Being, being in the building. The feeling that I had... That one of the great closers of his generation, Graldus Chapman, to walk three batters and then give up his first Grand Slam ever in his career in that situation, I, I just could not yeah. believe what I was seeing at that point.
2: Ian, we look forward to reading all your books and all your columns. Ian O'Connor, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmead.
2: Hey, welcome back everyone. I just looked at my watch. I think it's time to know more.
1: More to Know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. I'm going to
2: try to get a lot of stories in, so I don't want to play the sound, but not a surprise. Megan McCain, I'm surprised she lasted this long. It's leaving the view. They didn't get any Emmys this year. I'm not sure if it's related to this, but Megan McCain is done. They'll miss her. She was the one who made that show interesting. She was fearless in her arguments. I hope she comes back here. I thought she was great.
11: I can see Ben Dominich having a special guest uh, very soon on his uh, podcast. Yes,
2: they are married and she is pregnant again. Next. New York Times op ed warned Democrats have one year to save the planet. This writer Farhood Manju published a warning uh, today. I skipped over this editorial because they're broken records. It's the same agenda every day. Next. California Governor Gavin Newsom has a recall date set, September 14th. We'll see if he leaves the state open in order for him to win. They were so fed up with his lockdown and the extension, maybe they'll have short-term memory loss. He does not deserve to finish out his term. Next, financial firm is appointed by a judge to become the co-conservator of Britney Spears. They said they're forgetting it. They looked at the details of this. They heard a testimony. They do not want to do it. I don't blame them. Matt Gaetz invited Britney Spears to testify about a conver- uh, convertership uh, before Congress, conservatorship. And I would say that she should do it because there's so many people in these situations. Most of them are seniors. We need to find out if this is an abusive situation. I think it is for Britney. Brian kill me.